This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. A new year is a new chance to focus on you. You're probably already picturing yourself struggling at the gym, but not all self-help has to mean suffering. Squeeze.com is making it easier than ever to elevate your wellness by delivering a juice cleanse right to your doorstep. It's the easiest juice cleanse you'll ever do that may aid in weight loss, eliminating bloating, clearing your skin, boosting your energy levels, improving sleep, and breaking bad eating habits. Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at squeezed.com. Welcome to the Sufi Heart Podcast with Omid Safi. Featuring teachings and stories from the wisdom of the Islamic tradition, Omid invites you to a meditation on the transformative power of love and recalling the necessity of healing our own hearts through healing the world. If you'd like to support Omid's podcast, please visit BeHereNowNetwork.com forward slash Omid. Thank you so much for this opportunity to share some conversations from the heart. Absolutely. That's my favorite kind. So tell everybody who you are. Well, uh, that is a journey. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I have the great privilege of uh, serving as a professor of um, Islamic studies at Duke. And um, I'm basically interested in two major um, paths in life. I'm interested in spiritual traditions and also in movements that uh, are about liberation and how these two issues uh, connect together. Anything that is about love and justice for the whole of humanity is something I'm going to be interested in. Uh, My home, personally and academically, is the Muslim tradition, but I also teach courses on the legacy of Dr. King at Duke. Okay, great. So spiritually, what do you mean by that? Um, the spirit, there's something in us that is subtle, that is unseen, that connects us to, um, to the heavens, that we are more than just these flesh creatures that, that come across, but that there is something from the divine that flows through us. Uh, it is what uh, animates us. It's what gives meaning and shape to our life. And, uh, you know, sometimes I think we talk about these words like spirituality um, in these ways which are very individualistic. But I also think it's helpful to think of it as something that extends beyond us, that there's a spirit that connects us and binds us together. I couldn't agree more. And that's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about listening is how else are you going to identify whatever the experience is? I feel like you listen, and then you listen more, and you listen more, and you gather that information through listening that connects you to all of that. Yeah, and you know, think about even um, sometimes the language that we use. Of, we talk about listening to somebody, but what would it be like if instead we talked about listening with someone? Well, guess what? A couple of years ago, I do know this. Am I telling you something you know about me? 
Please go ahead. All right. Because a couple of years ago, I had a really hard time identifying my work. Hmm. And I struggled with a tagline. And I asked friends, how would you describe what I do? I'm a business life coach. I do the shows. You know, I'm writing a series of books and just one afternoon listening to the hearts of. And, you know, I just would wait and listen. Let it come to me, right? Patience is a virtue. And it's also really key when you're listening. And I waited and I would take words and I'd play with them and see how I could describe it. Somebody once said, well, you're an alchemist. I said, that doesn't feel so right. You know what came to me? Listen with me. Hmm. That is, so now it's listen with Marilyn. Yeah. Listen with me. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, um, I, by profession, I'm an academic. And when I go to a lot of academic meetings and I see it being the same way in business meetings, um, sometimes we measure people's intelligence by how quickly they can size somebody up. They can get to the gist of their argument and maybe they can even tear it apart and they can interrupt them to show them how smart they are. Um, And we even sometimes confuse the ability to be a fast thinker and a fast talker as a sign of intelligence. But a lot of the most meaningful conversations that we have with people are the ones that are filled with these pregnant pauses where there is that silence and that space which provides a grace for people to hear the echoes and reverberations of their own thought. Uh, And we're not stepping over each other's thoughts. We're not stepping over each other's feelings, but you're actually creating this canvas together. going no i mean i mean because i i the only thing i can say is yes (laughs) yeah i mean i totally agree i you know in that pause we get to regroup we get to rehear we get to listen we get to because that's the thing you never with listening and we're taking it in it's i mean you can't you you can't be a hundred percent because there's always more, there's another piece to it and another piece to take you deeper and deeper and deeper. You know, when somebody identifies it as deep listening, it's all deep. Hmm. It's not just, it's not it just deep. That's right. It can be all deep. Perhaps it should be all deep. And, you know, I think in this particular strange moment in time that we find ourselves where um, there are essential workers out there providing life-saving service, and then the rest of us are being recommended to stay um, inside and stay indoors in this quarantine, which I hope people are taking uh, to heart and taking seriously. Um, It's getting a lot of people to ask those hard questions about, am I an introvert? Am I an extrovert? How do I recharge my life? And a lot of people are finding that it's actually chit-chat, small talk, which is particularly draining. When we're just talking about, you know, the this and the that, and 20 minutes into a conversation, you feel like you haven't gotten anywhere. Um, And, you know, one of the things that I sometimes share with my friends and with my students is, one of my least favorite expressions in the English language, and it's one that we all use almost on a daily basis, is, you know, we ask each other, how are you? And um, it's an unimaginative question, and not surprisingly, it tends to bring out unimaginative answers. And so the response to it tends to be, I'm fine. I'm okay. Um, or that people start reciting for you their to-do list on everything that they've got to take care of on that particular day. Well, and that's not particularly illuminating. It doesn't tell us anything about the state of their heart. And uh, I was reminded of the fact that in many Eastern cultures, in uh, the Persian tradition, in the Arabic tradition, in Urdu, um, in older forms of Turkish, when you wanted to ask somebody how they were, 
you didn't say, how are you? The question that you would ask was literally, how is your heart doing? And how is your heart doing not in a mega cosmic sense? How is your heart doing in this breath, in this very moment, in this very passing moment, um, which has come and it shall pass? How is your heart doing right now? And what I tend to find is if instead of asking people, how are you? If our conversations go to the point of, how is your heart doing right now? Then, because the question is a worthy question, the answers that it tends to elicit from people also tend to be worthy. So instead of people responding with like, you know, I'm fine. Or, you know, the my least favorite, you know, I'm just so busy, so busy, so busy. <laughs> like this um, crazy head nod, which is never accompanied by genuine joy. Like I've never met a person who goes, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, and I'm really happy about being so busy. Like there's this way that we've been taught and conditioned to define and measure our ultimate self-worth by performing this kind of busyness to one another. And if instead you say, how is your heart doing right now? then it actually creates this silence, this opening, and then the person can pause long enough to say, how is my heart doing right now? Let me look look deep within myself and, oh, well, it turns out actually my heart is joyful. My heart is a little exhausted. My heart is feeling quite full. Um, and they by creating this opportunity for each one of us in this conversation that we're sharing to look within and bring out the state of the heart, we're giving each other the most gracious, graceful, grace-filled gift possible, which is a conversation that actually invites each of us to go deep within. Yep. I'm writing a series of books. And the, my series is called In Just One Afternoon, Listening Into the Heart Side. Mm. And when the, t- when the subheading, the title came a long, long time ago to somebody else. I mean, yeah. I heard it, right? The subheading, however, I needed something that can go, that could go with everything. Because I could listen to the heart of, we can listen to the hearts of a person, a philosophy, a lot of things, right? And to the core. And when that hit me, I w- it was like an electrical current went through me. I can remember the actual feeling I had when my chest went up, my head went back. I was—I mean, I could just feel it take take over me, come inside of me. And it—and it's—and it's meant everything because you—you know, when you when you do exactly what you do, what you said, what you said that question, just holding that in my heart as my purpose behind asking a question, even if I don't say to my, to the person I'm talking to who I'm interviewing, what's in your heart today, I'm holding it. That sends out a different message. So when people ask me, how did you get so many, my first one, men, listening to the hearts of men, how did you get so many men to talk to? It's because I came from listening into their heart. I came Mm. from that feeling inside of me. But I love what you just said. And I'm going to try, I'm going to do that because I'm a, when I say, listen with me, listen with, I'm a tool. I am not the controller of it. I am a piece of it. I am a tool. I am a guide. I am a questioner. I am a, whoa, that sounds really good. What about this? I'm an experiment. And I'm going to take that line if it's okay with you. And I'm going to put that on my next like the post and see the f- what what the thoughtful what thoughtful comments come back to me. Yeah, yeah. I think all of us are. You know, we're all finding these pearls and these gems um, in the teachings of multiple traditions and um, and sharing them with one another. There's somebody once said, "There's very few." Uh, truly great original ideas in this world, um, but living into them 
is something a little different. Uh, so I think that's what we're all being called to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, and I really do believe that there, this is a time when people are accessing that more and more and more on their own. I mean, when I say on their own, you know, they might hear a little of this and they might hear a little of that from someplace and see a little of this and see a little of that. It's up to an individual to connect the dots. That's right. That's right. You know, they have to connect all those things. And I give, give them to- such credit for being able to, such acknowledgement for being able to connect, you know, connect something to be able to feel a different way and see it. Because it's up to each individual human being. Mm-hmm. You know, we can, I can put it out there, you can put it out there, I can do as much as I want. But even then, I'm, I'm constantly learning and growing and picking it up and everybody else, you know, I, I have lots of great hope for everyone. So illuminating courses, tell me about that. Yeah. Um, thank you for asking about it. Um, so, you know, when, um, this uh, period of quarantine, um, was starting, um, my wife and I were sharing in some really beautiful, heartfelt conversations and, um, in those early days, so much of the focus was on everything that we are told not to do. You know, we're told not to go outside. We're told not to travel. We're told not to hug people um, and not to touch your face. And, uh, and so many spiritual traditions teach us that one of the very necessary things that we have to learn to do is to rise above the ego and look at things from another point of view. And there's something about this ability, this willingness to look at the same situation from not our own egoistic point of view, but through another set of eyes that I think is actually quite liberating. And so the way that um, she and I posed it to each other was, what if instead of thinking about what we are prohibited from doing, what if we actually switch it around and say, what is it that maybe we've always wanted to do um, and we haven't been able to do for a whole host of reasons? And now we might have the time and the space to do that. And I think for me, one of it was, um, I genuinely believe that these teachings, um, which come from the heart of every faith tradition, uh, they're life-saving. I think they are, they can heal our brokenness and our wounds, and they can take you from where you are and deliver you to a place of wholeness. Um, But sometimes we have to translate these teachings, which means not just going from Arabic and Persian to English, from Greek and Hebrew and Sanskrit to English. So many of our religious traditions, our spiritual wisdom, Um, was conceived of in a pre-modern world. And there's a way in which we have to bring the fruit of these ancient teachings into a contemporary context. Mm. Um, It has to sing today. It has to resonate with our lives today. And in the case of the Muslim tradition, which is both my own spiritual home and also what I teach and study, all these books behind me, um, you know, we have a number of luminous sages. Um, We are told to revere and respect and learn from all of the prophets and all of the prophetesses and all of the sages and including all the ones that people would know about, Abraham and Noah and Moses and Christ, and of course, the Prophet Muhammad, um, and a number of Muslim sages, um, probably none of them better known in the West than Rumi. And so um, what we decided to do was to have a whole course that would be online, and uh, this is what people can access through illuminatedcourses.com, And the first one that we did is called The Heart of Rumi's Poetry. And it's a series of 12 lessons and they can, each of them is pre-recorded so people can watch them at their own time from wherever they are at their own pace. And when they finish one, they can move on to the next one. Um, 
And if what they want is just to sit in full privacy of their own rooms and watch them and be done with it, then that's lovely. But I also knew that um, people are craving a sense of connection. And so once every few weeks or so, there's an opportunity for people to join um, a live call-in occasion and see other people who are um, also following along these teachings. And um, we just had the first one this past Saturday and 150 people from about 15 different countries joined in. And it was lovely for people to sort of see somebody from Singapore and somebody from New Zealand and somebody from Turkey and from North Carolina and California and Vancouver um, from many different faith traditions. So a good number of the people, as you might expect, come from the Muslim background, but we also had um, rabbis and we had Christian ministers and deeply contemplative people of multiple faith backgrounds who are reading and listening to these teachings of the Islamic spiritual tradition and figuring out how does it connect to their own life. Um, and it has been a very life-giving experience for me and I hope for uh, the people who are getting to follow along. Let me ask you um, one question to begin with. First of all, do you notice any kind of theme with the people who showed up? Any, any question? Is there anything that you notice from them? I notice a couple of things. Um, I think one of the first things that they are searching for right. is what do we do with suffering? Okay, I'm sorry, I missed that because I, I... Yeah, yeah. one of the questions, one of, what do we do with suffering? Okay. And, and they're beginning actually with their own suffering, right? What, what, are we, what are we supposed to do with our own sense of pain, our own brokenness, our own wounds that we are experiencing on this journey of life? Um, I think in some ways, um, we like to use the language of we're all in the same boat. We're not all in the same part of the boat. Um, there are some people who are very directly being impacted by the current situation. Either they themselves might have tested positive, they might know a loved ones. Um, I think you and I have something in common that both of us have elderly parents and we are deeply concerned about what would happen to them should they be exposed to this virus in light of the very serious conditions of age and pre-existing conditions that they have. Um, for other people, it might be that they've lost their job or that their financial situation has taken a huge hit. And also... So much of the noise of life has quieted down a bit. And so you actually have the opportunity to hear that still small voice inside. Um, and it takes courage to go deep within yourself. One of the points that I always remind my friends is that the word courage comes from that old romance word of cœur, which is the heart. It takes courage to go inside your own heart and to deal with those places that Rumi would call the unilluminated places deep inside your own heart. So could you give us a little history about Rumi before we actually dive in? So for those of us who may have heard of him, but don't yeah. know exactly who he is. And I want to keep the word suffering out there as well, because I think that's an important tie-in. So if you could just give us a little brief bio of Rumi, that would be great. Absolutely. Um, so people, many people would say that um, other than the Prophet Muhammad, who of course is seen as the founder of the Islamic tradition, there's probably no other Muslim figure throughout history who has had such an impact on so many different cultures. Um, the, the old sort of um, cliche is that 
every Persian speaker knows dozens and dozens of his poems by heart. Um, he lived and died in what is today Turkey. And every year, uh, more than a million people come for pilgrimage to his shrine. And in South Asia, um, there, his poems have been recited for hundreds of years in these sessions of ecstatic, sacred music called Qawwali music. And then he's had this very interesting afterlife here in America, where for the last 30 years, um, there's a wonderful American poet, um, a good friend of mine named Coleman Barks. He's, um, he got his PhD from North Carolina. He's a good old uh, Chattanooga boy from Tennessee, and he taught at the University of Georgia. And he rendered scholarly translations of Rumi's poetry into American free verse. And in the last 30 years, Rumi's poetry has become um, the best-selling poetry in America. People like Mary Oliver, Mm -hmm. right, whom we all know and love, uh, what are you going to do with your one wild and precious life? Adored Rumi and kept a copy of Rumi's poetry on her bedside table. So there's something very cosmically delicious about this 13th century Muslim, Persian-speaking mystic who is adored by people in Iran, in Turkey, in Central Asia, in Pakistan, in India, and now in Europe and North America. And his main point, and this is what I try to bring out in the Illuminated Courses, in this um, The Heart of Rumi's Poetry course, is that he speaks about love not so much as an emotion. Love is not this fleeting sensation that um, I love you today, I may not love you tomorrow, Um, that I love chocolate and I love God. For him, love is the very unleashing of God onto this realm. Uh, It is love that brings you here. It is love that sustains you here. And if you can rise above your own ego, and merge into this cosmic current of love, then the same sacred love can return you back to your celestial origin. Um, And since you asked us to talk about suffering, Mm -hmm. he sets up his whole poetry, uh, and this is what I take people through on the course, step by step by step. You know, so many religious traditions kind of give you this pie-in-the-sky model of follow me and you'll be rich. Follow me and you'll be happy. Follow me and everything will be hunky-dory. And he actually doesn't do that. He begins exactly where most of us are. He starts his collection of sacred poetry by really grappling with the question of suffering. What is causing you pain, my dear? What do you feel cut off from? Who do you feel cut off from? Is there a place that is home to you that you feel separated from? Are there loved ones that were in your life that have since parted? And then the one that I think is the source of suffering for so many people, do you have hopes and dreams and expectations of your own life's journey? Did you think that life was going to go a certain way and it has since gone a different direction? And do you feel separated from your own hopes and dreams? And is that causing you pain? And he starts there. And he's not in any rush to tell you that it's going to be okay. However, but however, let me ask you this. Or yeah. Not. But however, if with the notion that it's all based on love, right? Yeah. When you apply love to suffering or any of those, you can handle. You can you can handle it better. I mean, the world does look better out of rosy glasses. You know, um, approach world, it, yeah. right? 
approaching these things from the notion of love, I mean, it, it, it gives a good base. Right. It's one thing to look at life through rosy glasses. It's another thing to say, if you lift up your head, you might actually be sitting in the middle of a rose garden. So one of the things that he does is he gets you to begin with suffering and even with the question of thirst. So he switches metaphors a lot. And he says, yeah, you have to become mindful of how thirsty you yourself may become. Spiritual thirst, yearning, longing. And then he says, your thirst is what will lead you to water. But what if you were to realize that the whole time that you've been dying of thirst with lips parched, you're actually standing knee deep in an ocean. And then he doesn't stop there. He says, and what if you were to realize that you are yearning after water, but the water is yearning after you? You know, one of the things I noticed this morning when I was kind of glancing through some of his poetry and quotes, and which uh, kind of, I didn't realize before, I don't think, but what a sense of humor he had. Absolutely. He's a <laughs> wonderful storyteller. I mean, wonderful. Made me laugh. Yeah. You know, one of the stories of his that I love, and this um, is the subject of one of the lessons um, on the Illuminated Courses. And, you know, you can imagine children gathering around and listening to these kind of stories. Um, so I may share this one uh, with you and your, your viewers, if you don't mind. Um, so in his age, and still today in many parts of the world, the roads tended not to be uh, paved, right? There was no asphalt on, on roads. So every road was a dirt road. And some people would walk and others would have carts being drawn by horses and donkeys and mules. And these animals would relieve themselves. So as you're walking, you would naturally come to see a little pile of poop here and a little uh, circle of horse urine or donkey urine over there. And so he talks about walking on this road and he sees a little puddle of donkey urine. Um, and then, you know, all around there's a field and there's wheat and there's straw that's growing on these fields. And the wind has picked up a piece of straw and this straw has landed right in the middle of this puddle of piss. And he says, I'm walking by and I see this fly that is flying through the air and it comes to land right on this piece of straw in the middle of the puddle of piss. And the wind is moving this straw from one side of the puddle of piss to the other. And he imagines the fly singing out loud. I'm the captain of this ship. I'm the king of the world, right? Um, and it's like a humorous, hilarious retelling of this story. And then he stops, right? Once you're just laughing out loud, full belly laughter, um, which, you know, by the way, this is one of the things that my own teachers have reminded us. Have you ever seen the way children laugh? right? They're holding their bellies. They're laughing so hard, tears are coming down from their face. And then when we get to be adults, the way that we laugh, we cover our mouth, right? Who taught you to be ashamed of your own joy? What did society do to us to get us to actually be embarrassed about shining with our joy, right? There is that idea of returning to that childlike state of a spontaneous, joyful life. So after he's told you this very humorous story and having everybody kind of laugh along, uh, he pauses and he then turns to you, the reader. And he constantly does this in his poetry. You're reading his poetry and then he starts talking to you. Right? It's almost like the kind of contemporary movies where a character turns to the camera and starts talking to the audience. And he's like, so 
when is it that you find yourself acting like that fly? What is it in your own life that you've treated like a puddle of piss that seemed at the time like it was so important to you? But if you could lift your head up, you would see that there's a whole world behind it. Is it, for example, how many people might watch this program? Does it affect my sense or your sense of importance and significance if we've got 10 people watching it or if we have 10,000 people watching it? The truth? I'll, I'll answer the truth. Mm-hmm. So I love it when there's thousands of people watching. Yeah. I, w- I love the, the thought that there are th- thousands of people, the notion listening to this right now. But if there were 10 yeah. or five, and then those five or 10 you know, out of those five or ten, one person that's right. I completely was altered and they went and touched one more person. Can you only imagine? That's a beautiful day. It is. And I've often said, you know, you know, there are, our shows can get eight, nine, ten thousand, eleven thousand live views, but if I walked into a room of fifty people each week that just came to listen to me, how exciting and chilling would that be? Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? So, yeah, I mean, that's the in the scheme of things. Yeah. And then let me just finish off that uh, beautiful story, because I think this is very characteristic of the way that he tells his stories. So after he's had you laughing out loud, after he's had you thinking about what situation in my life might I have treated as my own puddle of piss, where there's a whole bigger world out there. Then he keeps reminding you that every character that you come across in his poetry is inside you. Mm-hmm. And he says, by the way, the Bible and the Quran are the same way. Right? So to that extent, you yourself are the fly. You yourself are the piece of straw. You yourself are the puddle of piss. You are the wind moving the straw. You yourself are the road. And then the part that I love, you yourself are the one seeing the straw and laughing at it. Seeing the fly and laughing at it. What would it be like if we could look at our own internal puddle of piss and instead of just like, I'm so disappointed in you. If we could also be as gentle with our own limitations in that way and smile in all the ways in which we are growing in that way. Well, you know, when you originally said about talking about that pile of piss, I didn't even see it as a pile of piss. And I'm like, what's wrong with that? You know, really, when you think about it, what's, what's the, what, what could be bad with that? Uh, So, what is your favorite? And I want to compliment Margot on, uh, and I uh, want to uh, read from the um, chat in a minute because she's just said something great. So I, don't go away, Margot. I'm going to do that. But what is your favorite? Do you have a favorite? Can you even have a favorite? Well, you know, I have four children, and uh, each one of them thinks that they're my favorite. Um, and uh, they always come up to me and they go like, I'm your favorite. And, uh, and uh, Rumi's poetry is, is uh, like that too. My favorite really depends on the hour of the day and the state of my heart and how my heart is doing. I'll read for you one that is very much um, a consistent favorite. Okay, and before is- you do that, I just want to mention to everyone, please feel free to chat with us in the chat, to call in if you like at 919-518-9773, or you can come in on Skype at computers, and that's plural, the number 2K voice. And you can come in on the chat as well. I didn't want to interrupt Brother Omid, but I do want to give you all an opportunity to chat with us as well. I'm engrossed, so I just want to give you an opportunity to ask questions too. Okay. Thank you. Um, so this is one that I love so much that my wife and I actually used it as part of our wedding wows to one another. And so have a lot of my friends. This is from um, a book of mine called uh, Radical Love. Um, and it's a translation of a lot of mystical poetry, including a lot of Rumi. 
And these are translations that I did from Arabic and Persian and a couple of them from Turkish and Urdu. Um, so it, it's called You and I. You and I. It says, faithful friend, come, come closer. Let go of a you and an I. Come quickly. You and I have to live as if you and I never heard of a you and an I. You and I have to live as if you and I never heard of a you and an I. Um, that one is a consistent um, favorite of mine. And, you know, one of the reasons that I love this one so much is, um, you know, being somebody who has made his own uh, share of mistakes in life and that not every friendship and not every relationship has always lived up to the beautiful standards of, of, um, of these kind of teachings. And sometimes there's parts of our life that feel like a little taste of heaven on earth. But we've also had lives which have been a taste of hell on earth. And I think for those of us who have lived through difficult and challenging relationships, um, it's easy to think about times where you're caught up in this dynamic where, well, you did not take out the trash, but I did the dishes. And then you turn into like the law firm of me, myself, and I suing you and yours. And upon demand, each one of us can produce an itemized list chronologically and alphabetically arranged of everything that the other one has done wrong. Right, right. That's one way. And then there's this other way. What if we were to live as if the other person's well-being and well-doing and dignity and integrity was as important to us as our own? What if we would let go of these notions of a you and an I, a mine and a yours, and there would only be an us. Um, it's really something lovely to aspire to. Yeah, I want to go. To, I want to go there, but I do want to comment on Margot. She's when when you were talking about the line, "What's how is your heart?" or "What is you know today?" Uh, she said that that was a wonderful phrase, basically. And she is do you, and she's going to. Uh, use it in her therapy practice with old beautiful 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 that was, that's really cool may it be a gift and an offering and a sharing yeah that's really i love that and you know this morning when i was kind of glancing through um some of what i was reading um from rumi i saw these and this one really uh this one really uh, kind of got my attention there was several but here is one. When the soul lies down in the grass, the world is too full to talk about. And then this other one, the wound is the place where the light enters you. Yeah, yeah. That one is also one that I've um, translated. I might read that one, actually, if you, um, Nina, please. If you don't mind. No, no, so, go right ahead. Um, that one, I tell you the reason that I love that so much is you know, there's a um, there's a lot of us here who love music and love really great music. And um, if you're at all a fan of Leonard Cohen, oh gosh! And I mean, how can you not be? I mean, Leonard I Cohen. <laughs> uh, by the way, Leonard Cohen um, considered Rumi to be the greatest religious poet in history. And a lot of us know that line of his from the song Anthem there's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Well, you know where he got it from. I'll read it for you. And what Rumi's talking about is how we need one another, how sometimes we need someone who can be a mirror to us. And in that mirror relationship, they can hold up to us both beauties that we don't see in ourselves but they may also be able to show us wounds that we're carrying the way that Rumi talks about it, wounds in your back 
in your past that you can't see, hidden wounds, inner wounds. So I'll read for you. This is my translation of it. He says, and he talks about this as the skilled healer, right? This is what he calls uh, someone who brings a healing presence into your life. It could be a spiritual teacher. It could be a relationship that is healing you. Trust your wound to a skilled healer. You cannot see the ugliness of your own wounds. It's a very graphic image. Flies hover over them. Your thoughts, right? So, so often it's actually our thinking about who we are, which is like this infected wound. Flies hover over them, your thoughts. Your wound is your heart's state, unilluminated. The healer, uh, the sage, puts a bandage on your wound. The pain is gone. You think you healed all by yourself, but know this, the healing was from the light. The wound is where the light enters you. The wound is where the light enters you. And, you know, you don't have to give in to a whole lot of psychobabble to know that suffering does seem to be a part of the human condition. Uh, We enter this world through our mama's suffering. And there's genuine suffering that we experience during the course of life. We can run away from it. We can try to push it down. Or you can turn around, you can face it, you can confront it, you can grow with it. And so often, something that initially we might have experienced as a heartbreak reveals itself as a heartbreaking open. And so this is one of Rumi's teachings. There's a huge difference between a heartbreak and sometimes a heart just breaks and nothing good comes out of it. But there are times in which a heart breaks and that breaking is really a heartbreaking open and that's where the light gets in. One of my favorite uh, titles for a book, Elizabeth Lesser. Do you know who she is? She Heard she, of the name. She used to be, I don't even know if it's still in existence anymore, the Omega Institute up in okay. New York. Yeah. She had a book years and years and years ago called Broken Open. Yeah, that's right. That was exactly what it was about. I mean, how can, I mean, that's what happens to the heart. That's right. That's right. And then, you know, I think um, so many of us are so uncomfortable with our own suffering. and. If we cannot deal with our own suffering, how are we supposed to deal with the suffering of somebody else? Now, what, there's a, is there a difference between physical suffering and emotional, psychological suffering? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, you know, one of the things that I always tell people is um, humility is an essential part of this path. And so, You don't want to run to somebody who has a child in the cancer ward of a hospital and they say to them, oh, I know your heart is breaking, but guess what? Your heart's just breaking open, right? Um, You don't want to go to someone who is homeless or has lost a job um, or their beloved has just cheated on them and say, mazel tov, congratulations. Your heart is about to break open, right? The first response to suffering has to be witnessing it. And sometimes silence. You show up for someone. You behold their suffering. You sit with them. You hold their hand. You accompany them on that journey. And there's also ways in which we can take a look back at our own suffering and come to see the blessings that have come through it. We can say it about ourselves, but in terms of how we approach other people, 
I think there also humility is, is called for. That same love that Rumi talks about so eloquently ultimately is calling us to connect our being with other people. So here's one of the ways that the legacy of Rumi, the legacy, the teachings of Islam, and the teachings of the Christian tradition connect together in very beautiful ways. Some of you um, may have heard of this um, coming from figures like Dr. King and Cornel West and others. What the Sufis always say is, when love comes into public, we call it justice. So justice is not about just distribution of money. Justice is, you know how much you love your mama, you know how much you love your babies. If you don't want to see something bad happening to your babies, don't you dare be silent when that's happening to somebody else's baby. If you would want to have a roof over your mama's head, food on her table, dignity in her bones, then make sure that other people's mamas have that too. So when it comes out, we call it justice. When it moves inward, we call it tenderness. And love is mediating between them. You can be a fierce advocate for justice out in society. But that same force of love has to call you to be tender with the people that you interact with. Absolutely. So look, so I'm going to ask you now to share, you know, where somebody would sign up for your course and those kinds of things and your books. Sure. Before, you know, because I could keep on listening to you and I'm going to hopefully ask you back and you're hopefully going to come back. It would be an honor and a joy. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. So tell everybody... Where yeah, so the, the course is open to anybody. Um, it's they can sign up for it at www.illuminatedcourses.com. www.illuminatedcourses.com. Right now, the course that we're offering is the one on Rumi. I hope that in time we might add some more courses and um, they can sign up for it. I've set up some different options. If people need a little bit of financial assistance, we can help them out. Um, Some people that have a little bit more means have been generous, and it's essentially a um, share the love. So they've they've signed up and made it possible for somebody with needs to also sign up. And um, uh, you don't need to have any background. There's no tests. There's no exams. Um, It's all the readings and uh, discussions are online and um, um, you can watch them, you know, on your phone, on your laptop, um, at your own pace and, uh, and come along. And essentially the journey is from brokenness and woundedness on the path of love to a state of um, what Rumi would call becoming illuminated, mm-hmm. becoming a real whole human being. So I want to ask you about that uh, in just a second. But online, will you show my book? And then I want to ask about, are we all, there we go. All right. In just one afternoon, listening to the hearts of men. In just one afternoon, listening to the hearts of twins, the millennials. Um, very, very soon, people impacted by opioid addiction. Then black fathers will follow. And then families that have lost a child. And I go on from there. But. They're all on um, Amazon. Please feel free to reach out to me and ask me any questions about them. I would love to uh, discuss anything about any of these stories in the book. They're all raw and real and powerful. So please uh, check them out on Amazon. So when you talk about, thank you, Amnam, when you talk about broken, can we make the assumption, and I'm, I'm making the assumption, that in some way, shape, or form, we all come in, we're all, even I mean, even me, even you, all of us, we have a brokenness. Yeah. And so wherever we come into this course in particular, we all come in in some way, somewhere, of course, just having a brokenness. That's right. And um, a brokenness and also an ego. Um, and there's a little bit of that ego that we need to function in this world. But there's also the part of an ego 
which um, it wants to be worshipped. It wants to be placed at the center of the world. If you come from a religious context, you would say it wants to be God. And it cannot be God. Mm-hmm. Only God can be God. Um, and so that's one thing that Rumi spends a lot of time on, of uh, the ways in which as long as we are worshipping our own ego, it makes it impossible to love ourselves truly, to love anybody else truly, or to love God truly. The ego has to be put in its place. And it has a place. And it has to be healthy in that place. But its place cannot be at the center of the cosmos. And so the language that he uses to talk about this is when he's reading the Bible and when he's reading the Quran and he gets to the stories of the prophets, he stops and he turns to you. So if he does this when he gets to the story of Moses and the Pharaoh. So rather than just treating them like historical peoples of the past, he stops and he turns to you and goes, so what part of you acts like the Pharaoh thinking that it's the God of the whole world? And what part of you is like Moses who's come to liberate you? Wow, you are fabulous. I have a question. Go ahead. It's the teachings that are fabulous and, um, and, and the teachers that uh, all of us have had who've loved us and loved us into our bones. Um, they're the beautiful ones. And we're just honored, honestly, to get to live a life where we get to share these teachings. But thank you. You're very welcome. I, and I understand. Did, Mom, Nan, did you say you had a question? Yeah. I want to ask Dr. Safi something. Dr. Safi, I'm li- listening. I never heard about room. But I read many times back and forth, I read The Prophet. Yeah. Where does this uh, place kind of, where, where's Khalil Gibran uh, placed when it comes to illumination? Yeah, that's a wonderful question. So you're talking about a book that a Lebanese author, Khalil Gibran, who was um, a Christian author, right. but who had a deep love Um, towards both the Christian tradition and the Muslim tradition, he wrote. Rumi was a Muslim, uh, a Persian-speaking Muslim, but his circle of followers was multi-religious, multi-ethnic, multicultural. So he had Muslims and Jews and Christians, everybody kind of in his circle. And the language that he spoke was one that appeals to people of different faith backgrounds. He calls himself... um, the intimate friend of the prophet. And other people called him uh, the child of the soul of the prophet. Hmm. So he lived about 500 years after the time of the prophet. And um, people called him the child of the soul of the prophet. And um, I think that's a really beautiful way of looking at him, of, of somebody who takes the teachings of the prophet and um, brings them to their full ripeness and sweetness. Mm-hmm. Okay, that was that was a great question, Amna. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was wondering about that because I mean, you know, they're both very well known. That's right. Here is the intersection you know, right. between yeah. the two of them, and I, and honestly, the little bit that I've, I've read about from Rumi, I mean. He's, I mean, so understandable, so relatable, yeah. and not the and and Gibran as well. So you know, it was very. It's a great question, Amman. Thank you. This was wonderful, and I loved what you said about the teachers. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, when I when I share, you know, you don't when I'm sharing, and somebody goes, "Well, that was good." I don't, you know, you, you know that it's coming. Like I, you know, that I am that tool. You know, and I, and today I just wanted to sit here and listen to. <laughs> listen with, we listen with one another. Exactly. As you said. Exactly. So you were wonderful. I so appreciate you being here today. In fact, um, you know, we have a guest on our chat and I wanted to um, just thank her for being here as well, because she has never been to our show before. So I just wanted to acknowledge her and I thank you so much for being here with us today. And I, 
do want to ask you to come back and we'll get together and do that because there's that so much. Be fun. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me as part of this beautiful conversation. It's our pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. And everyone out there, thank you so much for being here with us today. And, you know, just, I, I can feel your energy here and thank you so much for being here and enjoying this along with us. And uh, I'm not as well. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Bye everyone. Take care. Bye bye. Süleyman kuş gibi bir Süleyman kuş This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now.